what was Aussie bush like back over 100 years ago? These rinky dink recollections can answer that question. Welcome Immortalites to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron and I do book reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality, who want to learn something new and interesting. Today is a little bit of a special one. I'm kicking off a month of Aussie book reviews and what better way to start than with We of the Never Never and The Little Black Princess by Mrs. Aeneas Gunn. These were actually two separate stories that were published, but I have a version here which has blended the two together and put them into one book. So you're getting a, a two for the price of one for this book review. The first, We of the Never Never, was actually published later. So this is published in 1908, and the other one, The Little Black Princess, was published in 1905. But sequentially in order, We of the Never Never actually comes first. As I hinted at in the intro, these are recollections of Mrs. Aeneas Gunn's time in the bush. So she actually lived in the Northern Territory during the early 1900s, where she went out to one of the cattle stations there, in particular, the Elsie cattle station. Both of these stories are of her time in this area, in the deep remote bush of the Northern Territory. We Are The Never Never starts off with her in Darwin, and it's essentially her story of coming to this new land, coming to this new tribe, this new area, and trying to fit in or find her way there. So it's very stressful for her at the start because the people at the cattle station, the stockmen and the associated cooks and all those sort of people are unsure of her. Like, is she going to fit in? Is she going to be one of those bossy people who has no idea of the land and how harsh it is and how difficult it can be to live out in these places and so they actually try and keep her away but she's very determined and she's a very uh, a little missus is what she is eventually called so she's a very kind-hearted sweet person and she eventually fits into the way of life of the bush so this is learning things of how to get rid of the comforts in life how to actually spend time camping out with her swag in the bush with some of the other men how she'll need to protect herself because she's going to be there alone on her own for much of the time when her partner and all the other associated workers go out and do things. So it's all of her recollections of what bush life was back in the early 1900s. If We of the Never Never is her story, The Little Black Princess is the Aboriginal story. So Mrs. Aeneas Gunn, she makes friends with a tiny little black Aboriginal girl called Bet-Bet. And now Bet-Bet is not a princess in the technical term, as you would think in the maybe English royalty and things like that, but she is a person who is going to become one of the matriarchs of the tribe. She's going to already is destined to marry one of the future leaders. And so she comes into the, the homestead there and it's essentially her telling of, of what the Aboriginal culture is like. So Mrs. Aeneas Gunn will go out with Bet-Bet to the watering hole with the other lubras to all these different places and to the dancers. She'll learn how to hunt. She'll learn why they have these beliefs. And so the story really is about Aboriginal culture and why they do the things they do. In terms of length, the two stories combined is about 230 pages, with two thirds of that being We of the Never Never, and then the other third being The Little Black Princess. A tiny portion on the author now before we go onto the themes. And what's fascinating about Jeannie Gunn is she actually had no relation to the bush before actually going out here. So she was born in Melbourne in 1870, and I'm guessing she would have lived a more city life before marrying her husband, who in the book is called the Maluka, and then going out to the bush into this, you know, the remotest of remotest places 
for the first time and experiencing everything that there was to experience out there. So it's no wonder this time period had such a tremendous impact on her. Unfortunately, she didn't spend much time out there as her husband died of malaria. And so she was then, I guess, kicked off the property because it wasn't actually hers. They were you know, looking after it for other people in, in essence. And so this time period did have a huge impact on her. And even in the afterward, she says, and then the gates gently closing, a woman stood alone in that little home that had been wrestled so merrily out of the very heart of nature. So after the death of her husband, this obviously (laughs) tremendously impacted her as well. And in the prelude to one of her other books, it, she also said, we who have lived in it and loved it and left it know that our hearts can never, never rest away from it. So this is talking about the land, the nature, that intense experience and what it was like to actually be out there. The two themes I'm going to talk about roughly reflect the two tales that were enclosed in this whole book. And so the first, We the Never Never, is about bushfolk, blunt, hardy and rough. Most of the people, characters and therefore bushfolk are introduced very early on in the novel. So these are the Maluka, her husband, obviously, and then some of the people in the township of Catherine that's located just outside of her homestead. And then the actual people living on the land itself. So this is the quiet stockman, Jack, Mac and Dandy, two other stockmen, the cooks, Chion and Sam, and then the Lubras. This is the Aboriginal folk who help out at the homestead. Most of them are quite suspicious of her and are trying to block her from coming out to the land because they know just how hard this place is to live in. And they're unsure of her character and the, I guess, character of women in general in these places. And so this is some of the characteristics that pop up of these people and how you need to be to live out there. So they are funny, intense, hardworking, and no mincing of the word. So I'd guess you say they're not your normal person. Touching upon this theme of normalcy, it's interesting to ponder, are not normal people drawn out to the bush? Are they attracted to it? Or does maybe they're created out there? Or is it maybe accentuated in their characteristics? Because you can see most of the characters are blunt. They are hardy. They are rough. They're not you know, talking and lardy dying about it's a serious place for serious people. But that being said, it's not like they don't have respect for each other. It's not like they don't know how to have fun and play practical jokes and all these sorts of things. They're, it's just that the bush folk have a very certain mindset, I guess, of, of what it's like to be out there. And for me, it's a almost a calling, a talking of three different points. There's the characters of the people, there's the land, and then there's the culture of the bushfolk. If I had to guess, I'd say it's the interaction of the three. It's not like one creates any of the others. That being said, the land obviously is always going to be the land. There's always going to be the wet season and the dry season. There's always going to be the harshness of that where there are poisonous snakes and all sorts of animals that are out to get you where if you're not careful your ass will get drowned burnt all in a single day because the weather the climate the temperate there is quite brutal so you could say okay that one's kind of unchanging and unfixable so therefore it's more the culture and then the the people who are attracted out there their characteristics that are a little bit more malleable it's important to point out that these are generalizations as well and i'm going to add a little personal interjection here which was i did spend a little bit of time out in the 
Queensland outback, which is obviously a bit different from the Northern Territory. It's maybe slightly more closer to home, although still quite remote at the same time. And you do sense these things from people, but it's also people are individuals as well. So there are still going to be lazy people out there. There are still going to be people who aren't friendly, who aren't kind, who aren't nice to others. And so it does depend on your individual who you are as a person as well, but that will get molded and you will shape yourself to the situation. So it's fascinating just seeing what bush folk are like and then seeing that they are, you know, individuals, but also there is a generalization that you can make about them, but not generalize, overgeneralize would probably be a mistake. The second theme coming from the Little Black Princess is about Aboriginal culture. And I would say superstitious and full of surprises. I'm going to caveat this right at the start, which is this is two outsider perspectives. One being Mrs. Enius Gunn, who went and lived out and with Bet Bet and the Lubras and the Aboriginal folk out there. And then me, this is my interpretation of her words out there. So neither of us had spent a huge amount of time with the Aboriginal folk. I will admit my my knowledge of their customs and all these sorts of things is quite lacking. So this is just coming from that perspective. Her time with them revolves mostly around Bet Bet and then also another character called Gogolai, who is the leader of the Aboriginal tribe that's nearby. Both of these people are part of that tribe and they will work for the homestead. They will do some chores and things like that, but they don't live on there. So they're still their own entity. They still live out on the land and have their own customs and do their own things. And there is just this, I wouldn't call it superficial, It's but not super deep connection between the two either. It's not like they're being treated as equals. It's, there's definitely a separation between the two. But they will enter into the homestead, the the white world, I guess. And then she would also enter into their world. So she did try and learn some of their language. She would get used to wearing their clothes and just noticing how they were doing things. And the time they would spend together would be around many different things. They would eat together and sometimes they would do the washing, the chores, the darning, those sort of more group activities that have a purpose. And then also just swimming or going out for a walk or playing around all of these different mixture of activities and what she emphasized quite heavily was the amount of superstitions that the aboriginal folk would have so this would be a lot to do with the devil devils as she wrote in the book which is the ancient spirits the devils i guess you would call them the bad negative spirits who could harm the aboriginal folk and so they had many many things of what you can and can't do because you don't want to incite the devil devils to to hurt you or want to harm you. For instance, Bet Bet and Goggle Eye would not be allowed to look at each other at all because if they did and a devil devil caught them, bad things would occur from that. Some of the other superstitions would be singing magic. So this is where if you used a certain song and then also pointed a bone at another person who you disliked, you could get them to fall ill, to have all these calamities befall them. So there was sort of this godlike entity who could be used to transfer power to them and then they could use that power to to harm people and other tribes and whatnot and then more silly ones such as that when hail would fall this was actually the eggs of rainbows and because the hail would melt into the ground and then they would dig up the ground and find these colored worms they assumed oh okay that must be the worms the babies of the rainbow and so you don't want to hurt those animals at all or do anything with them because 
that is the you know son or daughter of this powerful entity that is the rainbow. So there was these superstitions, but then you would have the practicality and the more direct ones that I could definitely see some use for. So for example, they were very lazy and it was almost like a justified laziness. What's the point of doing hard work out in the sun when it's easier to rest and for this particular thing, like I don't need all of these associated like extra tools and doing all this hard work beforehand when the rains could come along and wash it away. So there was this no need for striving too much. I, I sort of appreciated that from their culture. They did seem very practical jokers. Like they knew how to have fun. There was always like nice things happening in terms of the relations between people. And although there was you know, in fights and all that sort of stuff as well. There did seem to be an ability to be part of a tribe, be part of a group. And to do that, you do need to have fun. And their practical skills of bush life, of living out there were just unsurpassed. They knew how to track animals from the faintest of traces that were in the ground. They would be able to tell what would be coming from the weather-wise in terms of the wind and the rain and all of these sorts of things. And so what sort of animals and plants and all these just you know, things that we take for granted because we don't have to live out in the bush because I can be in my nice enclosed little box of a house. But they would have this tremendous amount of knowledge and tremendous amount of skill in being able to live out in the bush in a manner that would be beneficial for them. And so just on Aboriginal culture, of course, it's cultural relativity. So you look at it from one perspective, you look at it from another perspective, you can say, oh, those things are stupid. Why would you believe that? And then you could say, oh, maybe the belief in that is necessary to be able to get these practical skills in another manner, or perhaps, you know, having that belief is silly, but it works out in this way. And so you can always look at these things and say, like all things, there's bad and then there's good and then there's neutral and sorting them all out is just how hard and difficult it can be. One thing I did find really poignant though, which was a scene in the book where they were celebrating the king's coronation. And so they did it the Aboriginal style where they had this huge feast, they killed a bullock, they cooked it underground in this specially made oven and there was just like partying, fiestas all the time. And then the next day, you would, you'd sort of look at that and go like, oh, what's like strange things they're doing? What, you know, maybe silly or maybe fun or maybe just seems bizarre. And then you would see the next day that the white bush folk, the men, the stockmen, those sorts of people, they did a salute with their revolvers pointing up into the air, shooting up. And this scared the shit out of all the aboriginals and quite rightly so. And they eventually had to be, you know, drawn back saying, we weren't shooting at you, we're shooting in the air. This was a way to celebrate. And so I just looked at that and was like, man, that is just equally as stupid or equally as silly or as equally as fun as perhaps what the Aboriginals were doing. So it, it depends on your culture and what you're used to and whatnot, but it is fascinating diving into these little side cultures and going, oh, that seems cool. That seems not so cool. Ah, I like that. I don't like that. And just seeing, oh man, there's so many different ways that people can live in the world. Now, some of my observations and personal takeaways from these rinky dink recollections, I did not take it for granted that I could actually read the book. There are some quite hard words in there. And this is not due to the Aboriginal words, although when they are speaking, you do have to try and reinterpret what they're saying. But even just the Australian words in general, like, man, there was so many in there where I went, okay, I think I know what this means and I have heard of this word before, but just reinterpreting all of it, I really think that if you come at this, even if you're fluent in English from outside of an Australian perspective, you're probably going to need a dictionary or an Aussie on hand to help you because so many of the words were just 
very peculiar to Australian culture. A takeaway for me is that discomfort can bring its rewards. Some of the most amazing parts of the book were when she went out into the bush where, yes, you are at the mercy and the risk of rain, of sleeping in a waterlogged sleeping bag or being burnt to a cinder by the hot sun and all of these things. But damn, you get some amazing sights with the stars at night with this river running through after the storms with this old gum tree or, you know, a classic Australian tree that's just this huge monolith out there. And so it really got me thinking, you know what, sometimes you do have to go through a bit of discomfort to really experience some of these amazing things that the natural world has to offer. And the final observation was, damn, this was a brave Sheila indeed. Props to Mrs. Enius Gunn because moving out to somewhere so remote in such a time with so little information, this is the 1900s, there was absolutely no internet, no way of knowing what life is going to be out there. And so other than just you know, hearing secondhand, thirdhand from other people of, of what this is going to be like. So, you know, mad props to that, uh, a lady going into a man's world. And, you know, I would still probably say it is a man's world out there because it is a harsh, brutal environment. And you do need to have that um, strength, uh, not only physically, but mentally as well to be able to go out there and do those things. So Mrs. Enius Gunn, mad props for, for going out there and doing all of these things. To summarize and cap it all off, this was decent writing and definitely something new for me. It's not typically the book that I am drawn to. I found it to be a pretty authentic view of the Northern Territory living of the Never Never Land, of the culture of both the whites and the Aboriginals out there, and just what it would have been like to be a stockman, to be a person living out in this absolute remoteness in the early 1900s. It's not an absolute game changer for me, but I did enjoy reading these two tales. So in total, I'm giving the book We of the Never Never and The Little Black Princess a 7 out of 10, pretty solid. To finalize each one of these Aussie book reviews, I'm going to go through a couple of the words that really jumped out at me as being Australian and that were used quite a lot in the book. So mob, this is a large group of something. So it can be a mob of people, a mob of cattle, a mob of trees scrub a type of landscape or even plant i guess you would say it's that type that's very thistly thorny that's hard to move through that's sparse but also can be quite conglomerated at the same time so it's just a a type of landscape that's not easily maneuverable i would say and but it can also refer to a single bush if you are saying oh that piece of scrub over there reckon this is the australian way of saying believe or to believe so i reckon that it's sunny outside she reckons that he's a good person etc etc billabong this is an isolated piece of water so usually pretty small i guess you'd call it a pool or a pond of water usually left after a river has diverted its course and gone elsewhere or even it could just be a naturally low point in the land and bullock which is a male bovine or a male cow which is raised for its meat so it will eventually be slaughtered killed and is usually domesticated as well so, Mere Modelites, we've come to the end of another book review, and I really do want to thank you for joining me up until this point. If you'd like to hear more, you can hit follow or subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening on. And if you could go over to Apple and iTunes and leave five stars and a nice review, that really does help me out. To interact or connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Mere Mortals Podcast. And other than that, I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.